Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited for you to join us today. To find out more about us, visit highway.com.au. You know, we've been living in the slipstream of 2018. We preached and prophesied, you know, increase over our church, increase over our people. And man, haven't we seen that? Hasn't God been faithful? Faithful. I mean, Gilston popped up in a few months. We've got another location. It's like bizarre, but totally God. And uh, we've been living in that. And, of course, last year we were challenged to go beyond where we were. Didn't matter where we started. At that point, we go beyond from here. We move forward. And this year we're challenged to grow beyond to grow beyond where we are in these three areas. You grow beyond in my faith, in our family, and in his future. And we've looked at the first two so far this year, but I want to focus on the third area, his future. His future. Now, we know that his future is the church. It's the church. And... uh, I don't think there's ever been a more challenging question than in this generation in which we live. Never been a more relevant time than, than this time right now. And it's amazing to think that Christianity is growing so fast all around the world except the West. Except the West. We know that in South America and China and Africa, they're experiencing revival. Revival. Pastor Don McDonnell, who was here last week, he just got back from Bogota. And uh, he went to a church over there. Um, Funny thing, there was a girl in his church in India uh, who was the daughter of the senator of Bogota. And um, he happens to have a church of... I don't know how many thousand, but 35,000 turn up on a Sunday as a normal Sunday service. They have an altar that that accommodates 8,000 people to get saved every Sunday. And they pack the altar. Don preached there. And so we know that revival is, is moving so rapidly in those countries, but not the West. Western Europe, England, Australia, New Zealand, and the U.S., Christianity is in decline, which is weird because those nations were founded on godly principles. Those nations were built on the Word of God, and they flourished, and they prospered. Those nations have never been third world, never been third world. And yet, the very foundation that they built upon is now in decline. In the West. And Australia is about to become, for the first time in history, an atheist nation. In 2006, the, uh, the census said 64% ticked the box that said Christian. 64%. That was 2006. 2011, it was 61%. 2016, it was 52%. 2017, 
in 2019, you've got to be thinking on that trajectory. We are, for the first time in history, a majority atheist nation. That's scary, isn't it? That's what the stats tell us. And we know that his future is the church. Amen? His future is the church. And in no way will the church of Jesus Christ ever be lost. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he said, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Because Jesus asked Peter this question. He said, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And it was on the revelation of who Jesus is that is the foundation of the church, that the church globally would be built upon that foundation, upon that revelation of who Jesus is. So we know that Christianity will never die out around the world. The challenge is, will Christianity die out in our world? In our world? That's the question. And this principle runs true in every area of your life. What you pay attention to grows. What you pay attention to grows. Think about that, Christian. And I'm concerned as a pastor, you know, I, I lie awake at night thinking about this. How do we turn this around? Why are we where we are? What have we done? And I think what we've done is that we've, we've built this model that only goes halfway. We've built this model um, that the, the people see church as the end goal. Okay, you know, my life's a mess and I need help and someone tells me about Jesus and I say yes. And the journey begins. And you know what? I come to church and I, I begin to experience this and that. And you know what? This God stuff's real. It's starting to work in my life. My life's getting better. My marriage is getting better. My kids are nearly sane now. This is good. Church is good for me. Good for me. Good for me and my family. Good decision I made. Absolutely. But that's only half the story. It's only half the story. Wonderful, but it's only half the story. And I guess Jesus could ask us the same question today. Who do you say I am? Who do you say he is? And if the answer to that question is the same as Peter's, then the revelation of that will be evident in our lives. 
If you say to me today, no, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the evidence of that should be manifest in your life. Everywhere you go. I challenged the staff this week, we had a staff meeting, and I said, if Christianity in this country was illegal, okay, think about that, if it was illegal to be a Christian, it was in the early church, it was in the first century, and if I was a prosecutor, could I find enough evidence in your life to convict you? Think about it. If Christianity was illegal, and you know, we're not too far from that. They're already challenging the, the word of God as hate speech. Ask Israel Folau. All he did was quote the Bible. So anything's possible, but if it was illegal, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you? of being a Christian. You see, when you say yes to Jesus, then you say yes to the mission of Messiah. You say yes to the mission of Messiah, the salvation of the whole world. And we look at those census stats and I've got to tell you, yeah, we're heading in the wrong direction. Is that fair? Yeah. And you might say to me, well, Pastor, you know, like we get 130,000 people immigrate to this country every year. Not all them are Christians. That could distort the figures. That could, you know, maybe. But let me ask you this today. Is there anyone here? who have led a person to Jesus this week? Can I see your hand? Anyone? This month? Has someone led someone to Jesus? Thank you. We've got one, two, three. This year? Two, three more? In the last five years? Probably got about 30 altogether in a room of 300 people. What does that tell us? Tell us we're only living half the story. His future is dependent upon us catching the revelation of Messiah and living out the whole story. It's wonderful that we come to Christ and He is faithful. He is faithful, changed my life, turned my life around. I can't thank him enough. That's wonderful. Embrace that, enjoy that. But if it doesn't channel us into the mission of Messiah, into reaching our world, then it's not a full gospel. Is that fair? When I think of the church in the West, I... I think of the church that Jesus talks about in Revelation, in Laodicea. In Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 14, 
It says this to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have required wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Wow, that's a challenging passage, isn't it? To the church in the West, I I see two problems out of that passage of Scripture, two challenges from Jesus Christ. The first one in verse 17, the problem they had is that they were affluent. Affluent, verse 17, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. History tells us that the Laodicea uh, lay across three trade routes which passed through the Lycius Valley and it helped to make it a commercial centre in Asia Minor. It had great banking facilities. It had a medical school and it had a garment industry. So it had the finance, it had the higher education, and it had industry. That's what made it so wealthy, so made it so, so strong. This wasn't a sleepy backwater town that, you know, that uh, was, you know, struggling. No, this was a thriving city that was multicultural. Many travellers would bring their religions and their ideas. And Laodicea had, a, had an ability to adapt itself to be tolerant of all of those ideas and concept and those influences. And because of that, the historians tell us that it was called the city of compromise. See, what they did was that, you know, they allowed all of these other cultures and all of these other religions and practices to flourish because, well, you know, we don't, we don't want to upset anybody because it'll affect our business. And these people are our customers. They're the ones that bring the money in. So even though, you know, we don't agree with it and it's ungodly and it's all that, you know, we, we're not going to mess with that because, you know, we, we don't want to stop the money flow. <coughs> but sadly, that same characteristic overflowed into the church. That was the city, that was the town, but... That had overflowed now into the church. They were prepared to compromise their values to accommodate their affluence. The accusation that Jesus brought against his church was not that they were rich or that they were affluent. That wasn't really the problem. The problem was they did nothing with it. 
The problem was they just stored it up. It was like, get more, get more, get more, get more, get more. Jesus spoke about that, that rich fool in Scripture. In Luke 12, the guy, he said, oh, I'll pull down the barns and I'll build bigger ones to accommodate more and more of what I can gather and collect together. And Jesus said, you fool. This night your life will be demanded from you. In verse 21, it says, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. See, wealth isn't a problem. It's who we store it up for. Nothing wrong with being wealthy. Abraham was the richest man in his generation. God's not against wealth. But his heart was towards God. And sadly, the Western church had got caught up in the affluence of the lucky country. And God has been pushed left of centre when he should always be the centre. And you say, Pastor, how can you know that? How can, how can you say that? How can you make that statement? Well, one sure way of knowing that is in our tithes. In our tithes. I mean, we know how much comes in every Sunday and we know how many people attend and we know on an average wage roughly how many people are tithing if you look at those numbers and it's about 30%, Pastor Steve, 30? About 30%. So in a row of 10 people, you've got three people that tithe, the other seven don't. I mean, that's not even Australian, is it? I mean, you don't go to a barbecue without taking something. Why? Because we all pay our way. That's the Aussie thing. Amen? I mean, isn't there a name? Aussies call people that, that live off everyone else. You chewing on that steak? Chewing on that steak? Come on. We're going to grow beyond. We've got to get real. Now, you know me. I'm not after your money. Money's not a thing for me. I mean, look at the way I dress. Not a lot of affluence here. This shirt was tailor-made, custom-made for me. Six bucks. Eight-dollar jeans. Twenty-five-dollar shoes. I've got a personal tailor in India that waits for me to come over. It's not about the money for me, folks. You know, I, I, I shared with the 8.30, I, I, you know, I've done a lot of thinking about this for a while. And I asked myself, why do I do what I do? Why do I pastor? Now, I know I'm called. There's a call on the inside of me that I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing, but I can't do anything else. There's a call of God. There's a drive within me. That's, I can't escape that. But the second reason I thought about it was like, the buzz for me is when people get blessed. Yeah. 
I love to see people healed. I love to see people restored. I love to see marriages go from, you know, World War III to something that is just awesome. I love that. I love to think that we can feed kids that are hungry. I love to think that we can go out and, you know, I spoke at the homeless shelter this week, just gave my testimony. I love to think in some measure we can make a difference and turn people's lives around. That's what fills my tank. And I thought, you know, if I was to start again, if I was to start a church again, and I've thought about this. Back in the old hall, we started with 12 people. I should have done it then. I thought what I'd do different is I'd have two rules. You come to my church, two rules. Number one is you tithe. I want to see it. I want to see it. You say, well, that's legalism, Pastor. Yeah, I know, I know, but the free will thing hasn't worked. And why do I say that? Because I know you're not blessed if you don't tithe. I want you blessed. I want you to float. I want the windows of heaven to open and dump on you. I want that. And what you do when you don't tithe is you you tie his hands. You make it impossible for God to do what his heart is for you because you're disobedient to the word. Still chewing? I'm having fun, are you? Come on, let's, let's be real. You say, I can't afford to tithe. Well, that's because you don't tithe. Because when you don't tithe, you say this, I don't trust you. That's the truth. You can debate it. You can go Old Testament, New Testament, knock yourself out. But the bottom line is you don't trust him, that he is faithful, that he is faithful. That would be the first thing. Second thing is you, didn't get, you wouldn't get into my new church you wouldn't get anything if you didn't bring an unsaved person with you. That's the admission fee. You've got to bring someone who's lost. Now, I know it would be a small church, but it would quickly grow because God would be there. There would be a fire. There would be people coming to Jesus and knowing who he is and coming alive with the things of God. It would burn within you. You'd be so excited. You'd never, you'd find a bloke at a bus stop and drag him into your car and bring him to church just so you didn't miss out what was going to happen on Sunday. Anyway, that's a side issue. I don't know why you got me onto that. I might be looking for a new church soon, do you think? (laughs) Scary. You can tell I'm old now because I can tell the truth. You don't have to like me. The second thing that Jesus had against them was in verse 17... Said, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Pleasure. Pleasure. These guys reach that point in life where, you know what, it's cool. Electricity bill comes in next month, nailed it. I've got the money for that. You know, that situation, that circumstance, yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got enough of that. I'm good. I've got enough in the bank. You know, I've set up my retirement. 
I'm looking good. I'm going to be comfortable. I don't need a thing. They didn't have to worry about eating tomorrow. They didn't have to worry about, am I going to survive tomorrow? Are my kids going to have a meal tomorrow? They didn't have to worry about that. Man, we're cool. We're cool. We don't need a thing. And isn't that the goal? Isn't that the Aussie dream? Isn't that the evidence of being blessed of God? That you're in a position where, you know, we're good. We're comfortable. We don't need a thing. We're self-sufficient. Oh, I hate that word. We're self-sufficient. <coughs> it's always been my dream. To be honest with you, I've always thought, I've always, it's always been my dream. I thought I'd, I just want to get to that point where, you know, I'm not going to shake my head when a bill gets in. You know, I'm not going to have to worry about my retirement because you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, I can rest a little easier today, of course. Be rich enough to have no more worries. To be self-sufficient that we don't need a thing. And when we get there, then what? Then what? Well, we'll retire early, retire at 40, and uh, we'll get a caravan and we'll go around Australia and uh, we'll live for a year. Awesome. Awesome. But then what? Then what? Well, you know, we'll go on a cruise. You know, we'll go on a cruise. We'll go to Alaska cruise. Who's done the Alaskan cruise? I've done the Alaskan cruise. It's fantastic. But you've got to come home. Then what? Then what? See, my brother, my brother um, was cruise director on the QE2. He, he was cruise director on, for Cunard for 25 years, so he's done a lot of sailing. Um, and he, would, he told me about people. I was with him Sunday night after church uh, last week, and I went through one of his photo albums, and he's, man, he's got photos with uh, President Jimmy Carter, um, with... Uh, um, Gene Hackman, you know, with uh, a whole bunch of them. Um, Debbie Reynolds, he was a good friend with Debbie Reynolds and all, the, you know, like in his cruising career, he, he met all of these rich and famous and wonderful people. He said, you know, Byron, he said, he said they can come on a three-week cruise on the QE2 and he said they go home and then they come and do another three-week cruise, like they go home for a week and then come back and do another cruise for three weeks to the same places they were at last time. He said, they've got that much money, they just, they just keep doing cruises. Really? Get a life. You see, what, what the lie is that we reach that point where, where we'll be able to have pleasure where we will be sufficient, we don't need a thing, and we can have pleasure in our life. I want to challenge you today, folks, right where you are right now, get your pleasure out of purpose. Get your pleasure out of purpose. Life would be hell without pleasure. It's good to have pleasure in your life. 
But get it out of purpose. You know, we did the morning tea for the, for the diggers on Anzac Day down at Coomera. And I don't know, we had 12, 14, whatever, you, you guys were there, you know, down there in the kitchen making Anzac biscuits or taking them out of the packet. <laughs> 20th century Anzac. Um, taken out of the and, and, you know, deliberately displaying them on a plate. They had a ball in that kitchen. I walked in there, they were laughing and joking and it was a bunch of fun. These guys on Friday morning at our community breakfast, they're stuck in this kitchen. They're like a dozen eggs in a, in a crate and one does the toast and one butters the toast and one does this, you know, for that and one whips the cream for the, you know, French toast. And But they have a ball in there. They laugh all day. They have such a good time because they get their pleasure out of purpose. They're volunteers. They don't get paid for that. They don't want it. They, and they don't miss a week because something might happen and they'll miss out. It's so much fun. Don't fall into that trap. Get your pleasure out of purpose. Is that my time? Is it gone? <laughs> And one thing I hate is church politics. I sit on the coast amongst the churches and which one's bigger, which one's got this, which one's got better social media, which one's living the Instagram life. I see it in church life where, where, you know, it's like, you know, how come I didn't get that job? Or, you know, I'd be better than that person. Why didn't I get that job? Or, or something happens. That's it. I'm leaving. I'm, I'm, going, to an, I'm going to another church. And, and, and the, Lord, the Lord spoke to me the other week and he said, it's like, it's like everyone is fighting for the best cabin on the Titanic. That's the word of the Lord right there. Everyone's fighting for the best cabin and the ship's sinking. Christianity is declining in Australia. And I'll tell you this, we dodged a bullet yesterday. We dodged a bullet, but don't get comfortable. We've got a window now. We've got a window to get them saved. And I'm not talking about placards and stuff in the street. I'm talking about loving them into the kingdom of God. That I will reach the people in my world. Get rid of the politics. Get rid of the, the vain accumulation of stuff and stuff without purpose, without direction. And remember the commission of Messiah is to get them saved and build them for eternity. Get them saved. And as I said before, 30 people in a room this size, and, and it's, it's every church on the coast, folks. Not just us. It's, it's the model that we've built that only goes halfway. We need to turn that around. So that's going to mean your neighbours, your friends, your family, you are going to have to get involved in this. You are going to have to build his future 
so that your grandkids will have a church. Or particularly your great-grandkids. They may not have Christianity in this country. They might be sending missionaries from China to the pagan land of the Holy Spirit. It's up to us. This is our generation. This is our responsibility. This is our time. It's his future in our hands. We're not doing church anymore. We're building the church. We're building the church one life at a time. Bring someone next week. I might do part two. You want me to do part two next week? 